Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 95. Today, we're going to talk about relocating because, Ryan, we are moving. We got some big news. Moving on up. Moving on up. (laughs) We do have some big news. We'll reveal that in a second. But first, a few follow-up things, Ryan. Our budget episode, which... Um, we recorded uh, the last episode we recorded last time we were in, in studio and by in studio, I mean in this conference room that we're in, <laughs> yes. in Missoula, Montana, with our rigged studio. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. This is the last episode we're going to record in Missoula, Montana. Is it really? I think so, man. Wow, man. Yes. So we're moving somewhere. We'll get to that in a second, but some follow up on the budget episode that we just put out there. Here's why budgeting is important. Ryan, did you know that uh, this is according to the wall street journal, Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods oh man in other words stuff they don't need right non-essential goods now some of those things might add value to your life but the truth is if we have 300,000 items in our homes many of those things aren't adding value in fact they're getting in the way of the value of of the things that could augment our experience for living and so many of the things we're spending money on get in the way and we're spending over a trillion dollars a year let's put that in perspective because when we say million billion trillion it all sounds the same yes i mean if if you were to hear someone was a, a millionaire and a billionaire, we are neither. And so, but we, we often hear politicians talk about millionaires and billionaires in the same sentence. Right. They're not the same thing. That's like saying a thousandaire and a millionaire. Right. That, that's the same magnitude. Right. Someone who has a thousand dollars compared to someone who has a million dollars. How different is that? Right. Compared to someone who has a billion, it's the same leap. And then the ne- next leap is a trillion dollars. So if you were to go out and, and uh, spend one dollar every second, one dollar, two dollars, do that every second. And you don't even go to bed tonight. Okay. Wow. Or the next night. Okay. So no sleeping at all. $1 every second. Or the next night. And you do that for 31,000 years. You'll spend $1 trillion. I don't know. I I could go that long without sleep, man. (laughs) (laughs) And and so uh, that's how long it takes to spend a trillion dollars. In fact, if you would have went out and spent a million dollars a day, $1 million every single day since the birth of the Buddha, you still would not have spent $1 trillion by now. And we're spending that every year on non-essential goods. So th- wow. that's, that's why budgeting is important. It allows you to identify what is essential, what is not essential. Spend the money on the essential stuff first. Like also saving money should be part of that essential equation. Having an emergency fund, essential. And that leads me to this other article that Joshua Becker, our friend, shared on Twitter. This article from CNBC, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Just hearing that is staggering, but I know it's true because even when I had good money in the corporate world. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, me too. So 78% of full-time workers said they live paycheck to paycheck, which is up uh, from 75% last year, according to a recent report uh, from CareerBuilder. Overall, 71% of all U.S. workers said they are now in debt, up from 68%. So think about this. 71% 71 of people have debt. 78% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. And I know what that's like. But even in here, and it goes into depth in it, even people who are living 
uh, with six figures a year are living paycheck to paycheck. And that, that has to do with living beyond our means. I certainly lived beyond my means for most of my adult life. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how other people in this category look at it. Um, but for me, the way I would look at it is, you know, if I made $8,000 in a month, or actually the way it worked is, we knew we were getting paid the next month. So when you so, say eight thousand, that's because you, that's one hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, right? yeah. So let's say let, let's say like I had a good great commission month. Uh, you know, my guy sold a lot of stuff. I was gonna you know get an eight thousand dollar paycheck. I would spend that money before you got it. Yeah, and most of it, the vast majority of it, was non essential. Man, I was just talking to Bex about this when I was growing up. I remember like literally everyone in my neighborhood, including us, me and my brother, and my mom, we were on welfare, and. And the difference is we weren't always on it. My mom occasionally had a job. And there were a few other people in the neighborhood who were like that. But but we were on welfare. I remember people like when they wanted to buy something, the thing was, I'm going to wait for my check to arrive. Yeah. I'm going to wait for my check to show up. So we're just, and I remember when the first of the month came around. Remember that Bone bone Thug song? <laughs> it's the first of the month. Like, yeah, get it. That's yeah. what it was about. Like We would wait out by the mailbox. You would see people hanging out by their mailboxes on the first month, just harassing the the postal guy because uh, uh, they they were waiting on their check. check. Yeah, and that was already spent. By the second of the month, we had already spent spent the money, right? Yeah. And the first and the fifteenth, we would get uh, food stamps, and and it was spent before we even had it. It was spent mentally. Yeah. Well, it's funny, man, because like it, it makes me think that you know when I was making you know twenty grand a year, or whether I was making a hundred grand a year, I treated it the same exact way. Yeah. Like I made sure to spend every penny that I could as fast as I could. And I, that's actually a good point. I think if you're making 20 grand a year, you should treat it the same way as 100 grand a year, but treat it, I'm going to set aside this amount for my emergency fund. Right. I'm going to, I mean, I remember when we first walked away from the corporate world, I made $23,000 that year and I, 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 to charity, I donated just over uh, $2,300, $2,340 that year. I, I donated to uh, to charity because my friend told me if you can't contribute ten percent when you don't have any money you're still not going to do it when you end up having money you know if you end up making six figures again at some point what's going to make you do it then if you're not doing it now if you don't right. build up that habit and it was so true then and and it's obviously still true now and so that's why budgeting is important because you can identify what is essential what is non essential you can stop living emergency to emergency yeah. stop living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> And uh, hopefully we gave you some tips there that will help you get back on track in that last episode. If you haven't checked it out, you can go back and check it out. It's episode 94. And since then, Ryan, since then, I've been taking over 100 pills a day. <laughs> How's it going, man? How are you feeling? So I've got mercury poisoning. I, I talked about that. Uh, I feel pretty good, man, as long as I don't expose myself to any toxins. You know, that, that documentary that's coming out, I sent you a picture of, it's called The Sensitives. That's sort of how my life is right now. In fact, we're the place, the city that we're moving to, I had to get a two-month lease on a place because I was able to talk someone into it. Thankfully, I need to make sure I'm not allergic. It's not actually allergic. It's, it's chemical sensitivities. Right. My body is fighting off this mercury poisoning, and it was fighting off all the, the bad gut bacteria that I had. And so it can't deal with environmental toxins. I developed something called multiple chemical sensitivities when I was 27 years old and has prevented me from living in a bunch of different places. In fact, we remodeled an office here in Missoula, Montana. I couldn't even work from there because I can't go in places with a gas mask and record a podcast. <laughs> uh, not that I'm, I'm doing that, but I also have empathy for people who reach that terminus where, yeah. oh my goodness, you have to live in a tent because you can't be around electricity or Wi-Fi or, or whatever. 
but I can't be around certain chemicals. They, they, uh, add brain fog. They give me these, uh, allergic symptoms like watery eyes, really, really sore throat, bad cough, things that no one wants to live with. And it is, it's depressing when I get into an environment like that. So thankfully we, uh, uh, we found a place they let me rent for two months and, That's awesome, and test man. it out. Try it out. Make sure you can get a good night's rest and yeah, yeah, yeah. and repeatedly do that. Right, and, which is going to be difficult because we're going to be on the road as well. But but um, I've, I'm going to spend I think 25 days in a month and a half there. So how long are you taking? How long do you have to take 100 pills a day? Uh, it's 112 pills a day. I counted them yesterday. Uh, I, I take it. Uh, for this six day cycle. So it's called chelation therapy. Oh, okay. So right? this is not like, it's not a long-term thing. No. Uh, okay. And, and so the thing about detox from heavy metals is you're also removing the good metals from your body as right. you're removing the bad ones. And so I have to do like niacin and go to the sauna and, and do all this other stuff. I'm also doing a ketogenic diet, which I talked about last week. I'm almost two weeks into that. I'm no longer hungry or, or hangry. Uh, it's weird at first when I was start, first started doing this ketogenic diet, I'm tracking everything. I'm still getting all the macronutrients I need. Mm-hmm. So you, you get, it's mostly fat. It's like 70% fat and then 30% protein and carbs, less than 10% carbs. And so it's for every three, three calories of fat, you get one combined calorie of protein and carbs. Carbs are in everything, man. Carbs are in bacon. I mean, yeah. it, and so I have to have fewer than 25 grams of carbs a day. And the reason I'm doing this isn't to like get lean or be muscular or whatever. Like, although I'm leaner than I've ever been just in two weeks, I'm leaner than I've ever been in my adult life. That's a great side benefit. But what I'm trying to do is get all this damn mercury out of my fat cells where it's stored. And this mm-hmm. is helping me do that. But it's also helping me be less hungry. I want coffee less frequently. Like nice. I enjoy it more. And, and, uh, I no longer want the carbs anymore. I mean, I, I see them, but that first week I was craving cake and I was the, the <laughs> little, not, I haven't seen you eat cake in like a decade, man. Me either. I haven't eaten cake <laughs> in a decade, but I, I like all of a sudden, like it was just in my head. I have to have some cake. Yeah. I have to have some little Debbie's. Like I, it was <laughs> little Debbie's, I, right? I mean, you and I were fat kids. Yeah, man. So we had oh, lots dude. of little Debbie's. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I, I've been on that for two weeks, and at first, like I, it was the weirdest feeling. I was so full because I, I you eat a lot of fat. You have to track it. You have to be careful not to eat too much because there's you have a handful of macadamia nuts and it's like 500 calories, right? Wow. And so you do that four times in a day. You've already had 2,000 calories. So you have to track the fat really closely, uh, otherwise you're gonna have 5,000 calories and you're gonna gain weight on a diet like this. But the point is, I'm not trying to gain weight or lose weight. I'm trying to be healthier. But I had this weird feeling like I would eat. And then I'd be full, but I wouldn't be satisfied because I had a craving. You I got, was addicted have them to carbs, man. Carbs, man. Yeah. Addi- like, and I didn't even have that many carbs. I didn't get the keto flu like many people got the keto flu. No, it's hard, man. Like going without rice, going without like potatoes, man. It's yes. like, yeah, it's even that those those carbs that are for all intents and purposes like good health, carbs. Yeah, the good carbs you could have, and then yeah. Yeah, and and Bex is doing it too, and uh, I mean I. I, I've I've seen this change in her. I mean, she's the fittest person I know. She's amazing, but uh, she looks like a cover of Women's Health. I mean, it's unbelievable. She's been doing this for about a week now, and she looks unbelievable, man. I mean, six pack abs. It's it's 
it's amazing. And uh, she's the same thing. She feels satiated. Once you get past that hump, you get over the little bit of the keto flu that you get, then uh, which makes you feel like you have the flu for a day or so. For yeah. Some people, it's a week or two. For me, it was a day and a half. Uh, but it was fine. And, and I've moved on. And I feel good now. And I can go long times without eating and without cravings. It's so it's so nice. nice. So uh, I just got the keto meter. So I'm uh, since we're getting ready to move, I'm actually moving uh, today. I'm uh, boxing everything up today. After this podcast, I have to go do physical therapy, box everything up. And then you and I have speech practice. And then I have to take Ella to gymnastics and, uh, and somehow move because we're, we're flying to Canada at like 3am tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'm making it all work. I'm, I'm moving out to where we're moving, <laughs> uh, about a week before you are, uh, in between the, the Canada waves of, of the tour. By the time this comes out, we would already have been through, uh, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, and we can't really talk about what happened there because, well, it'd be illegal to talk about in the United States. <laughs> I noticed you picked up French. <laughs> we. <laughs> we picked up French. Oh, okay. <laughs> what else, man? What else is going on? Um, let's see here. Well, I had the... I had the uh, oh, you, you were... I'm just really proud of you, Ryan. You are now an Academy Award nominee. I know, man. It's crazy. So are you. <laughs> we we just got back from the uh, the the podcast movement conference. I think it was the fourth or fifth year. They did the Academy of Podcasting Awards, and thankfully, our our podcast was nominated as best health podcast, uh, alongside some other amazing names. We didn't win in that category though. So you're 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 just gonna have that nominee. I mean, I think you should change your Twitter bio, dude, to nominee <laughs> to nominee <laughs> Academy nominee. Dude, no, we rightfully should not have won that category. There some was, great people. There were some awesome people in that category. Yes, yeah, and so it was great. We we met a lot of awesome people, networked with some some good folks out there, and it was in Orange County, um, which I had never spent any time in Anaheim. I didn't really real. I mean, I'd been there before, like flown through Santa Ana or whatever, but I didn't realize that we were that close to Disneyland. I went walking through like downtown Disney, and they got like was, a little Disney city. Yeah, it was like a consumer's paradise. And That's why there was fireworks going off at like 10 o'clock at night out of my hotel room. Oh, window. really? Like, I yeah. <laughs> like there's a building in the way, but I could see like I heard like gunshots. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then like I saw the sky lighting up. Ah, OK. That so thank sense. you, Podcast Movement, yes. for nominating us. Congratulations to Dr. Drew, who won in our category. We joined the fellow losers from other categories like Sam Harris, Tim Ferriss, and uh, Joe Rogan. So we're, we're in good company as losers uh, from, of the Academy Award of podcasting. But uh, I had a good time. I'd like to spend more time out there. We didn't have enough time to spend because we were filming something else with Matt Diavella, yeah. who came down to Orange County just to help us film uh, some stuff for this, uh, this bag project we're working on, which maybe we'll, we'll talk about later. Maybe we won't. But real quick, Ryan, let's talk about moving, man. We, we, we have lived in Montana for the last five years. And 2012, we were driving through here at the end of our, our tour for Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Driving from Vancouver, BC, back to Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. I had never been to Montana, never thought about Montana. And I just knew I had to, oh man, we, we, we woke up in Idaho and had this 10-hour drive through a state. And I knew I'd have another like 10-hour drive through the Dakotas or whatever that, eight hours or, or whatever it was. I was not looking forward to that. I just wanted to get back home. We'd been on tour for so long and it was the 33rd city and we're, we're ready to get home. And then we drive through Montana. We wake up in the morning in Idaho. And as soon as you get to Montana, it's gorgeous. Like one of the most beautiful places you've ever been. And this is July 2012. So 
the best time to be in Montana's early July. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and you just see the mountains. We stopped and got uh, coffee. Yep, coffee, some fish tacos. We did find some fish tacos in Missoula. And I was, I was shocked, man. Like, we stopped and we found like awesome coffee and we yes. sound awesome fish tacos went to lay petite for for, uh, for a, coffee for a city of 70,000 people right dude I've, we've been to cities i don't want to like call any cities out but we've been to cities that have 200 300 400,000 people you can't find good coffee anywhere that's true yeah so no that that was definitely impressive so yeah, i don't want to call out regina I either <laughs> i don't think that's what like, you know, sealed the deal for me from Missoula, but it did pique my interest. And then I remember we were talking to the lady who was making our drinks, uh, the barista, baristess? <laughs> it's barista. <laughs> oh, barista. And uh, no, I, and, and she was just like a really awesome quality person. And then we were just kind of walking around, found the fish taco place. People working there were really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, people driving around like it's just, man, I hate to use the word vibe because, you know, I hate to uh, get all hippie. Let's just say feel. Yeah, it's had a really good feel to it, man. There we go. So, so yeah, it was uh, right off the bat. I loved it for sure. Yeah, I, and I did too. And, and we sort of we we got back on the road. We were driving down I ninety, and it just kept getting more beautiful as we left uh, Missoula. And this first time in my life I've ever done a triple take. Uh, there's this little tiny waterfall, hot spring. It's like a warm spring. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. popular destination for college kids especially in the summer who are still in town yeah and so i saw these uh uh, six college kids four girls two guys and it looked like an abercrombie ad like what abercrombie tries to affect on their posters they were skinny dipping into this into this warm spring on the side of the highway on the side of the highway (laughs) and you know it's like these muscular guys with six-pack abs and and a bigger bench press than anyone i know i'm sure and um and and then you know these these beautiful women who were there your college girls and 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 they were all just jumping in and right as i looked over this is what made me do the triple take i shit you not a bald eagle flies overhead yeah it was it was unbelievable man i am from dayton ohio the only place i've ever seen a bald eagle is on my currency Yes. And and so we just sort of looked at each other, but we've got to come back out here to write to write the next book. And here's the thing. You and I, that entire tour, all 33 cities, we were looking for the next place to go. Like Dayton had run its course. It was time to graduate from Dayton, Ohio. I still love it. It's one of my favorite cities of all time. If not my favorite, it's my second favorite still. Compare, it's right up there with the place that we're moving to. But on that first tour, every time we go somewhere, we'd be like in a city. And I'm like, oh, I love this city. Yeah. It, Tucson or Seattle wherever yeah man well I had never been anywhere except like Florida Tennessee upstate pretty much up and down that 75 highway the corridor there there. yeah man and like yeah I remember going to Chicago like oh my god Chicago's awesome I want to move here and then I remember that same Seattle man Seattle's awesome I want to move here Boise man Boise's so cool man I want to move here yeah Yeah, it was uh it it was uh it, it was incredible like just being able to get out and visit new cities and have that feeling but man missoula gave me a different feeling man i don't even know how to explain it it was like everything came together like the things that seattle didn't have you know missoula did have uh when it came to community or uh, you know whatever man like just being able to have all the pieces fit man like that is what really seated missoula especially when we came back and visited for a couple weeks before we like actually decided to move out there yeah it was uh, that, that september yeah 
September 2012, we came back out here. We went apartment hunting. We ended up renting a cabin in the middle of nowhere for four months to write the first draft of our book, Everything That Remains. Yeah. And that Which was a, technically wasn't Missoula, but we had access to Missoula pretty easily. We were two hours away from Missoula. There was one traffic light in 3,400 square miles, <laughs> and uh, it, it was right on the edge of this mountain. And it was beautiful, but it was also Montana winter. And it was negative 28 degrees some mornings or 26, negative 26 some mornings. And you're know, trying to keep the fire going or whatever. And that was it was a great experiment for four months. You, I wouldn't want to live like that in perpetuity, but we found ourselves gravitating toward Missoula because even though it's a small town, I, I look at it as a very big small town. Yeah. Because it's, it, it doesn't feel like it's, very, it's walkable. There is access to certain things. For a place that has 70,000 people in it, it feels more dense. It feels more populated. Yeah. Because as soon as you, the, the local apathem here is uh, Missoula is 15 minutes away from Montana. And that, right. that's true. You drive 15 minutes in any direction, it's vast wilderness montana right it's right. nature but it, in the city it feels it feels bigger than than what it actually is yeah uh but uh, and then a few years later i was started to feel the itch to to leave uh back in 2015 in particular on the way there we had gone through a lot while we were here like we we moved to missoula in early 2013 after that little cabin experiment out by phillipsburg montana we moved to missoula we started a company together with, with our friend colin wright we all moved to this house together asymmetrical press was the name of our publishing company and and we decided hey we're going to help a handful of other authors we're not still doing that with with other authors but we helped other people fail just as much as we were failing <laughs> and and help them sort of learn about publishing we learned a lot about that that the publishing business along the way and we still use asymmetrical to publish all of our own work and Colin's work as well and then uh, from there we did the crazy hundred city tour 2014 and uh, there are a few places I went that year I mean that solidified some of my favorite cities uh, Salt Lake City is one of them yeah I love Salt Lake Tucson Arizona is mm -hmm. one of them I've liked St. Petersburg for a long time Dayton Ohio is of course one of my favorites these these very big small towns where like they're not big enough to sustain a major league football team or something, but, but they're big enough that you have access to the sort of city amenities. And I generally don't like really big cities except for one of them. Yeah. And so we're going to move to a big city this time around. Should we, should we reveal it? Let's go ahead and talk about it. All right. Drum roll, please, Sean. All right, ladies and gentlemen, after five years in Missoula, Montana, and 31 years in uh, Dayton, Ohio, or, or at least Southwest Ohio, Ryan and I are moving to beautiful, sunny Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Yeah, man. So um, no, I'm looking forward to it, man. I am too, but we both have a different perspective on this as well. And so I, it's really nice. We're both running to something we mm -hmm. both see the opportunity there and we can talk about why we're doing it and 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 why it makes sense what we're most excited about but it's not just about running from the place that we're at although i have felt that need over the last couple of years so two years ago i decided to move to los angeles and i haven't talked about this publicly because i, I we were, we've been working out over the last two years because also just over two years ago so just over two years ago maybe two and a half years ago now i decided to move to los angeles the beginning of 20 uh, 2015. In fact, December of 2014, I was looking for places. I started looking for places right. then at the end of our in, end of our tour, and and because there were it seemed like there were opportunities, and and through that process, as I was looking, like right as I found the place that I wanted to live, I met Bex. I met the love of my life. I let, I met my partner, mm. and she at the time had a one year old, Ella, 
And I knew that like, I couldn't just say, Hey, I'm moving. Do you want to move with me? Kind of thing. So I said, what's more important to me? Is it the opportunities and changing the place or is it trying to make something out of this relationship? And I know it's going to be an unconventional relationship because I'm an unconventional guy and she seems pretty unconventional too. Maybe eventually we can make it work so that we could move out to Los Angeles if we're still together or if the relationship doesn't work, then I can always move out there if I want. Right. And so we started dating and things got more serious and we just absolutely fell in love. And throughout the whole time, I was completely honest with her. Like, Hey, I, this isn't where I want to, to live for the rest of my life. And she knew that she was more location ambivalent. Mm. She's lived in Alaska before she grew up in St. Paul. She lived in New Hampshire. She, everywhere she's lived has just been committed to winter <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I think she's kind of done with winter, right? You know, she's, she's 35 <laughs> years old now and, 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 uh, doesn't want to deal with winter all the time. And so, um, I've introduced her to Los Angeles because I knew she's very similar to me. I tell you, man, the first eight times I went out to Los Angeles, you remember that first time we, we ever went there was 2011. We were out on tour. Yeah, man, it was raining, which it never rains in Los Angeles, but like the first three times I visited that place, it rained. Uh, yeah, yeah tons of traffic. Um, uh, you know, we had 50 RSVPs for our event. Maybe eight people showed up because yeah. of the rain. Like they decided not to come out. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember, yeah, like really, really not enjoying the place the first few times I visited. I think it was seven or eight times for me. So I, I was dating someone locally there and I didn't find the right pockets. Right. And, and that was, uh, well, I think I had this like stigma too. Like, I don't know if this is true for you or not, but you know, LA has this certain stereotype, right? Yeah. So I think I allowed the stereotypes to affect how I felt about it before I even gave it a chance. Yeah. I mean, I hear so, people now say, I can't, I can't deal with the people in LA. I'm like, there's 20 million people in LA. If you can't find the right pocket, you're just not looking hard enough. And right. that was me at first. Like, I'm like, Oh, this, I don't like this neighborhood. Or I was, I would drive through this other neighborhood. I'm like, Oh, this, what, what is the appeal here? I hadn't found my pockets. And I also hadn't found the amenities that I eventually found access to. And for me, minimalism is quite often about more access than ownership. Absolutely. If you want to go to a cryo chamber in Missoula, what do you have to do, Ryan? Dude, you, there isn't one. In You'd there. have to buy one. Yeah, right. I'm like, <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't have a, a spare $60,000 sitting around yeah. to, to uh, buy a cryo chamber. But the point is, if I want to go to cryotherapy and I live in Los Angeles, that's one thing I can do. If I want to go to a Russian bathhouse, if I want access to, to great food, I'll have access to that. If I want access to surfing, which I am actually eager to try out, I don't know how well I will do, but I am eager to to try that out uh especially because bex is super super eager to try that out so um it's access over ownership for me i don't want to have to own things consume consume them bring them into my life i'd prefer to have access to them mm. and so over the last two years bex and i have been working on a plan to to get out there especially over the last year we've really been planning we've been asking some difficult questions questions about our relationship mm. and questions about being unconventional and and questions about not fulfilling the status quo and we had to have this talk last night at dinner with ella about about moving and it's going to be different for us because ella's biological father is here in missoula and he's not coming to los angeles i would love for him to too and We've certainly tried. It's just, it's not in the cards right now, at least maybe in the future, but I didn't want that. You know, that's the perfect scenario. He moves out and then we're all out there. One big happy family, right? 
And in fact, our friend Leo Babalta did this and he's written about it where uh, when he moved to San Francisco, he, his wife and his six kids, well, two of his kids are from a previous marriage. And so he had to get the previous marriage, the previous wife and her husband to also move in order for the, the move to work for him yeah. to, to go to San Francisco. Uh, he's actually out in Davis, California now, I believe. But anyway, he moved from Guam. And so I looked at that as inspiration for me. I'm like, oh, if he can do it with six kids and the former marriage, anything's possible. Sure. But then I also realized like that's the perfect scenario. But don't let perfect be the enemy of ideal. It can't be, well, if it's not perfect, then I'm going to have nothing. Right. And I'm just going to spite myself until I can have the absolute perfect scenario. Because perfect's probably never going to come. No. And so um, over the last year, we've worked it out so that uh, Ella will be out in California for, uh, for once a month. I will be back in Missoula once a month. And then Bex will be going back and forth. And she'll be spending about 50-50 time between Missoula and, and Los Angeles. Thank God that... Flights are cheap, man. Uh, they, yeah, if, if you get the right airline. Uh, yeah. And that's really the thing. And so Ella's not able to go on her own until she's six. It's called like a companion flight. And we've, we've looked into all of it. Or, and so she'll have to, we'll, we'll have to work it out. And we've, we've put a whole plan together in order to work this out. But it's also going to mean that Bex and I are going to have significant chunks of time apart. You know, sometimes it'll be a week or more apart. And uh, that's not great for every relationship but we've decided a to test it out but b we think it might even be better for us because of our personalities we are both introverts we're both loners we both enjoy massive amounts of alone time and it gives us time to look forward to, to being with each other so there will be probably a week a month that we're not together mm. and that will be that will be frustrating at first because we're used to it but i think it'll make our relationship stronger and we've also committed to continuing to reevaluate. And I think that's really important. I think real commitment doesn't have to do with putting a ring on someone's finger or signing some marriage certificate. Mm. Those can be symbols of commitment. Sure. But the real commitment are our everyday actions. Are we willing to ask the difficult questions? And are we also willing to not, to, to not fall in line with the status quo? Mm. And the status quo is like, well, you all have to live in the same roof 24 hours a day. And if you don't, then you're not a real family and you're not a nuclear family or whatever. And, and that's silly because I show my love and appreciation not by other people's standards, but by what my standards are. Yeah, and definitely. Qu quite often our standards, because we get to pick our standards, you and I, like our standards are going to be so much higher than what the status quo is, mm. even though it may not look like the status quo. And so we've had to we've had to do some manipulation there. We're moving to a smaller apartment in Missoula, and uh, getting rid of the house. And in and, and doing that, we you know we're going to have free up a little bit of resource so that we are able to afford having. You know, thankfully, we're a two income household. And, and Bex is able to, to pay for a, a good chunk, and then I pay for a chunk, and, and we're, we're going to have to make sure we take all of that into consideration. That's mm -hmm. why budgeting is so important. You have to be able to look at the finances, honestly. Can I still contribute the way I want to contribute? Can I still save for my future self, for retirement, the same way I want to save? Put those first as priorities, and then can I afford you know, moving to a new place. And then what other opportunities does that bring with it? You know, quite often people move to a new city because they, they moved to Providence, Rhode Island because they got a job there, right? Right. And part of that is, well, maybe this job will allow me to afford living in this different city, right? If we, we come from what is the second most affordable city in the country, Dayton, Ohio. Right. Uh, Canton, Ohio is the only city that's more affordable. <laughs> and, and so 
we are used to a really low cost of living and mo- moving to Missoula, I remember was a big step. Oh yeah. It, your rent goes up considerably. Yes. And then goes up again going to Los Angeles. Yeah. And you have to take that into consideration, but then you also have to talk, talk about why you're, you're making that move. And sure, there are some things I'm excited about. I'm really excited that I get to walk a lot. I mean, it's yeah, sunny me all the time, 72 degrees. I love it, man. Yeah. Yeah, every, every time I'm in LA, dude, I usually put in about, yeah, 15, 18,000 steps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Mariah and I love to walk. So, you know, it's, it, it, especially the neighborhood we're moving to, everything was, is within walking distance. I mean, you know, if uh, I want to go surfing or if I want to go snowboarding or if I want to, I need to get to Pasadena or something, like I'm going to have to get into a car. But, and that's um, why it's known as a car city. Right. But, but for all intents and purposes, like, uh, I really won't have to drive that much. I think you'll go weeks without using your car probably uh, because because of the location um or, or or i shouldn't say without i said using your car very little be- right because a there's public transit but b it's so walkable and even bikeable if uh yeah. if you're willing to brave it um and and they're doing a lot more to make the city of los angeles a lot more bike friendly and of course a lot more uh, metro friendly as well. I mean, the, the metro line expansions that they're putting in there are amazing. You see their plans, especially with 2028 coming because the Olympics are going to come there in 2028. Yeah. Uh, they're doing some amazing expansion on the metro line. They just moved the expo line out to Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. So you can theoretically get from Pasadena to Santa Monica on you know public transportation yeah. on, on the metro, not, not just taking buses. And so uh, the reason that we're going out there is we're, we're, we're building a podcast and film studio. And we want to be able to create more meaningful creations, not, not just content creation. We're not going out there to create more content. We're going out there to, in fact, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming allergic to that word content. I just hear it so much. And it just means like, it sound, it's like the same word as busy to me. Like I'm busy yeah, making stuff. Yeah, I guess when we say content though, like, I mean, the connotation is, for me, is meaningful creations right and that's why I, i've i've checked myself recently instead of saying content I st- i've been saying creations yeah i know i say content occasionally because it's in the 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 lexicon of uh, of the internet and so yeah. i i certainly say it but i prefer to say meaningful creations because it's it's more deliberate and it, it's more deliberate and that's what we're trying to do with the podcast and film studio is create more deliberate creations. yeah we want to tell more stories and like it, here in missoula um it, it is great for writing i think Although you've mentioned to me how you've kind of become stagnant with writing, not not stagnant, but uh, not as inspired, I guess, as, as when we first moved out here to Montana. Yes. Um, but what I'll say is when it comes to film, um, it's going to be amazing to have Matt Diavella in the same city with us. Yes. Uh, we're going to have a lot more resources, uh, better resources to create some very, very meaningful content with a different vehicle that, you know, the, uh, the, the only video we've done is the documentary. Yeah, pretty much. And um, yeah, that's something that I really look forward to, man, is creating more, uh, more video work. And I think, um, yeah, having our podcast studio, having Matt out there, and um, having access to that pocket of, of people, to that community um, that we've built up over the last couple of years, it's really going to, um, yeah, just help us get our message out to more people. It's funny, man. I remember when I first started um, just even wanting to break away from the corporate world, like not just wanting to, but dr- like dreading going to work. Like I'm on my way to work, sitting in traffic uh, on, on 75, you know, 75 driving from Dayton, Ohio to Cincinnati. Yes. It, it, talk about traffic. I know people complain about traffic in, in, in LA and I totally get it. There is certainly traffic there. 
There's traffic everywhere. There's traffic. You, have you been to Atlanta? Have you been to Seattle? Up the I-5 in Seattle? Chicago? My goodness, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all... Yeah, there's traffic everywhere. Have you been to Cincinnati at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning? <laughs> oh, my God. It's some of the worst traffic in the country is Cincinnati. Yeah, but I remember thinking, I was like, man, if I could just find a way to add value to millions of people's lives. I don't care if I'm living in a tent. I don't care if I am living in a mansion, but I really want to do something meaningful with my time. And I want to, I want to affect people in a positive way. Cause that's the one thing that I really loved about managing salespeople is that, you know, I could affect their moods. I could inspire them. And, uh, yeah, I, I felt like that was the one thing that I could hopefully translate to something else. And here we are, man, like we are, Dude, we reach millions of people every single year, and it's awesome. And I think moving out to LA, we're going to be able to reach even more people and and help, uh, yeah, and help and help that much more. I was talking to Rob Bell before our podcast with him. He he did a he was on we were on his show a few years ago before we even had a podcast, and uh, and then he was on our podcast episode eighty three just a, a few months ago at our live event in Los Angeles. And I told him, hey, we're we're getting ready to move out to Los Angeles this fall. And he just looked at me and he said, hurry. I'm like, what do you mean hurry? And he's like, you're, you're not going to believe the opportunities to open up once you get out here, the people that you meet. And it's so true. Like we were just at that podcasting conference, a uh, podcast movement for the Academy of Podcasting Awards. And I instantly met a guy who was like, yeah, I'm opening up this, this uh, comedy venue in Los Angeles and it seats like two or 300 people and we'll love for the minimalists to come through. And you get all of these opportunities instantly once you get out there and that's really what what rob was saying i I was talking to him about why did you move he he moved from the midwest he's from grand rapids and 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 uh, he moved out to california he's in his he always he's able to like have these little pithy answers all the time yeah he he goes well i just asked myself where do people go to tell stories yeah and there's no question that it's los angeles and that's what we want to do we want to not just continue to tell our story but but use the the medium of writing and film and podcasting to illuminate other people's stories in a unique way a meaningful way to have creations that will stand the test of time that will help people the same way our documentary did yeah and i think la is the the, the next ideal step but you and i have also talked about this ryan it doesn't mean that's where we're going to go forever i may no. end up living there for the rest of my life it may be a year-long experiment and after a year we're we're like that was great and now let's move to boise yeah. or, or or whatever and we we get to decide that and that's really cool this is the next chapter yeah and and that next chapter can be as long or as short as as we decide and uh we'll, we'll plan accordingly yeah i can't wait man you know missoula is it's a great place to settle mm. but i'm just i'm not ready to settle yet man and i want to give la a couple years at least and see how it goes and like you said dude if i hate it after the first year I can always come back to Missoula or if if I go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not, I'm not pigeonholed into, into staying anywhere. This is also the beauty of not having uh, a a huge mortgage hanging over someone's head. Yeah. You could turn your life around on the dime pretty easily. Uh, That's what Derek Sivers says too. Like, and and here's the thing though. If I know like, for example, like say I wanted to retire and just go right for the rest of my life, I'd probably go live in Dayton, Ohio. Right. Um, just because cost of living is cheap. It's a great city. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah, it's just one of my favorites. I know so many people there. It's very blue collar. It's the, there's no pretentiousness whatsoever there. And, and that, that, that city for me, like I could go, I could go live there and settle and Mm -hmm. feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, but right now it's not time to settle. It's not, I feel, I feel like, 
I could, and I would get a mortgage then too, or not, not a full mortgage. I would buy a house. I, I, sure. Maybe I'd get a mortgage where if, if I had fifty percent down, right? We've already talked about all this. I'm not going to rehash all of our budgeting uh, um, recommendations, but there, like, if you know you're going to be somewhere, for me, it's at least seven years, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the break-even point is usually about five years, mm. but. Uh, Derek Sivers says, you know, renting a house is, is purchasing the ability, to, the ability to move. Right. And, uh, and depending on where you're at, some, you know, sometimes it's easy to sell houses, but it's always a gamble, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it took you, you were, you were in Missoula for what, two years before you were able to sell your condo that was yeah. in Dayton. Yeah. That was crazy. And, and still took a, a huge, huge loss on huge it. Huge loss. Yeah. Uh, you had to use like savings to, to get rid of yes. it. Yes. And so it's a lesson you learned and, and it's not a lesson we want to. I mean, we, we, we learn, you know, the kid puts the hand on the stove and, and we get burned or, or Ella yeah. was, uh, her, 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 uh, biological father has a dog and she was, you know, roughing it up and she had to get stitches this weekend because the dog eventually, who's the nicest dog in the world decided to, uh, to bite back, so to speak. And, oh my goodness. Um, she got bit by a dog over really? yeah, right over her eye. Uh, oh, I saw that on Instagram, the stitches. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So Ryan um, showed me that. Wow. Yeah, and and uh, it's the nicest dog in the world. It's just like you can't choke a dog out until <laughs> <laughs> it's going to defend itself eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, she's she's totally fine. In fact, she her her quote from the doc, we were at the hospital together, and uh, her her quote was, "I love stitches." Because afterward, she got a purple popsicle. Oh wow! And we very rarely give her sugar, but they give her you know this purple popsicle, and so she loves stitches. All of a sudden, <laughs> she wants to get stitches every week. Wow. Um, anyway, so I'm really excited about getting out there. The opportunities we have, the access to things like the Russian bathhouse or cryotherapy or the stretch lab. Yeah. Uh, the physical therapist I go to out there, who you know, he's a physical therapist and, and a, a personal trainer, but he also does stand up comedy. He does open mics up in the valley. That's amazing. And That's the one thing I'm looking forward to too. Like there, there are those opportunities here in Missoula, but. A lot more opportunity in, in LA. They're readily available. In readily available. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm looking forward to the most are the people, man. It's funny going back to the whole, oh man, you know, uh, uh, how people view uh, the population of LA. Like, I can't hang. Ar- I can't hang around people. I can't. I can't stand the people in LA. Yeah. And I'll tell you, man. Uh, like you, like you said. Um, they just haven't found the right pocket yet. Like yeah. I cannot wait to hang out with the people in LA. Yeah, Rich Roll. I yeah. mean, who lives out like in Malibu Canyon or uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan yeah. or Rhonda Patrick. Like you have all of these these amazing people, but then you have a bunch of people who aren't public facing as well. I have more friends in Los Angeles than probably any other city except for maybe Dayton, but even then it's probably pretty close. It's just because there's so many people. There's 20 million people in the greater Los Angeles area, but it also doesn't feel crazy packed like New York City does. To me, when I go to New York, I totally get the appeal for some people. It is so overwhelming and overstimulating to me that it, and plus the weather is just like, it's like Ohio. If if I want that weather, I'd much rather live in Ohio. And, And so, uh, I'm looking forward to the weather. I'm looking forward to the opportunities. I'm looking forward to the people. I'm looking forward to creating meaningful video work and podcasting and writing and, and building a new network of people so we can try to help other people share, continue to share our recipe and other recipes that, that illuminate the path. Yeah. we got some questions here before we dive into those, Ryan. Um, just a, a quick note. I have my final writing workshop of the year. So this is October 22nd. It's called How to Write Better. It's a two-hour live workshop. You all Also, if you can't attend the live session, you'll have access to the, the recorded video afterward. 
It's uh, I do these like once or twice. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, two or three times a year, and this is my last one this year. I don't know when I'm going to do it again. It's an attenuated version of my four-week writing class, which you can sign up for at any time. That one is automated. You can find both of those: the the October 22nd two-hour workshop and the four-week class over at howtowritebetter.org. And that's really for anyone who wants to improve their writing. I think the, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And so some people who attend that class are, I've had medical doctors attend it. I've had high school students attend it. And uh, they're looking to improve their writing. Some people want to write the next great novel or they want to write a memoir or a nonfiction book or they just want to improve their business emails or maybe they just want to start blogging for the first time and they're afraid to take that leap. I sort of go through the fundamentals of how to improve your writing and then also how to get it out into the world and accept that criticism that you're going to to get from the writing that you put out there in the world. Mm -hmm. It's called How to Write Better, howtowritebetter.org are the details. You got anything else for right here, right now before we move into these voicemails that we got, Ryan? No, man, let's dive into it. All right, this first question is from Hannah in Minneapolis. Um, I'm calling today because I just first wanted to thank Josh and Ryan for speaking so openly about their past and their dysfunctional families, um, specifically Josh speaking about his dad who has mental illness. Um, as someone who grew up with a mentally ill dad, also schizophrenic and bipolar, um, it's something that I grew up with nobody talking about and it was a very shameful and secretive topic so getting older and hearing people that I respect talking about similar issues um, means a lot to me and I'm sure it means a lot to other people so along with that my question is two questions I guess how do you move past feelings of shame not necessarily you know that topic specifically but just around any past mistakes or, you know, embarrassing parts of your history. And then as far as getting rid of stuff, how do you make sure that you're accepting the past and moving on when getting rid of stuff and not just trying to get rid of something without actually dealing with the emotional baggage of it? Say if you had a breakup and you just get rid of all the stuff that that person owned to move on do you feel like that's truly dealing with the issue do you feel like somebody has to do more work or do you think that getting rid of stuff kind of helps you deal with that emotional baggage and or shame i think i think this question's important so so this is in a way i mean this episode's about relocating but but part of that means leaving behind something, right? Yeah. And so that that's why we had Sean pull out a couple of voicemails here that we felt were apropos for for this topic, and and sometimes it's hard to move on, whether it's literally like physically move on to a new place because you're so attached to the place that you're at. Dayton was that way for me, where it was like I love this place, man. It was hard to to let go of that, but I also knew I wanted to to expand and grow. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of years, I really felt like Missoula was stifling me in that way. Like I didn't, wasn't growing as much as I was. I wasn't getting what I originally got from Missoula. Mm. And I wasn't able to give what I, what I could give accordingly because I wasn't growing as much. And so um, I, I find that that shame is an interesting word that she's using here. Yeah. And, and I think part of this has to do, so I've, I've talked about this book recently, but uh, there's a book that came out recently called Black Privilege by, by Charlemagne, and who's like this uh, hip-hop radio DJ guy. But uh, it's a really good book. But in, uh, it's these eight principles of, of, 
um, living your own life, basically. The, the subtitle of the book is uh, Opportunity Comes to Those Who Create It. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with Los Angeles is create our own opportunity in a way as opposed to waiting for someone to pick you. And and she she said that she's feeling shame here. I think one of the ways to avoid the shame is to live your truth. Yeah. And And sometimes that starts with something that you think should be shameful. Shame has to do with how you think other people perceive you quite often. Right. right? And, and so maybe naming something that would otherwise be shameful. Um, I was, <laughs> here's something, I was at Goodwill yesterday. And so I was donating, th- I was using the 90-90 rule. And there were some things I hadn't used in the last 90 days and probably wasn't going to use in the next 90 days. So there were a few shirts and some other things. And then there was a sex swing that I hadn't used in the last <laughs> 90 days. <laughs> now, I'm gonna be honest. It was a sex swing that I got that looked kind of, I was a little scared to use it. And so I never, we never used it. I wouldn't donate a used sex swing to the Goodwill. Although I'm sure they're at the Goodwill right now, like what the hell is this thing? Now, I think most people would probably be ashamed to mention that, right? Probably. Uh, but it's the truth, right? And yeah. it's. Uh, I'm not going to show you pictures of me on a sex swing. Like that's private. It's personal. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but the truth is that I have sex and I enjoy it. And sometimes there are accoutrements involved and that's okay. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of the life that I live and yeah. it, my life is congruent with the life I want to live. And so when we experience shame, I think quite often it's because there's some incongruency there. Yeah. There is this, I think other people think I'm supposed to live this way and I'm not living this way and thus I feel shame because of it. But if you just live your truth, that's one of the principles from, from that book, it, then the truth can't be used against you. Right. And man, it's so freeing then for me to be able to say that, like wh- wh- how are you going to use it against me? So what? Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end, you don't have sex. You don't want to have sex. You're (laughs) asexual. Okay. That's fine. I don't care if you're asexual. I personally am not. I enjoy having sex. And so I'm okay to talk about that. Yeah. I think the best way to, yeah, to, to avoid the shame, like you said, is to live your truth, but like to do that as much as possible. Yes. Because like the more you practice, like the less you care what other people think. Yeah. So mention something right now, like go tell someone that you're some about something you're ashamed of. Yeah. And just talk it out with them and start with a trusted person. Like, I don't, I don't know the people who are listening to this for the most part. You know, there's about a million people listening to this podcast. I don't know most of you. And so I wouldn't start with just telling, telling complete strangers. Although if you have some serious courage, that's one great way to do it. <laughs> uh, if you, if you build up, start with someone that you know, you're safe with, like, I know I could tell Ryan anything, right? Like I could tell Ryan where yeah. I hid the bodies. Right. He, he, <laughs> he, he would be like, Oh, okay. Uh, I, he'll listen. Um, and he, he knows I'm the same way with him. Like he's not going to judge me. I'm not going to judge him. Having that a person like that in your life is good. Cause you can test out some of these things. You can test out yeah. your truths on that person. And you know what, Josh, there's someone out there who, uh, they would look at you very shamefully for, uh, having owned a sex swing. Yeah. Well, that and, tells me more about them, right? Well, yeah, but you know what? Teach their own man. Like, uh, it, it doesn't, I don't want to say the person who is, you know, looking at you shamefully because you own a sex swing, that doesn't make him a bad person. No, it makes him judgmental. And, and well, ju- judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. Sure. I guess what I'm getting at, though, is, you know, we, we we have to choose very deliberately who we bring into our lives. Yes. And that's someone who's not going to bring into your life. There are going to be some really very much, um, 
you know, religious people out there who would look at having a, uh, you know, a sex wing is really shameful. Okay, great. They're not going to be part of your community. I'm not even going to look back at them and tell them that they're insecure. I'm not going to look at them and say, you're judgmental. I'm not going to look at them and say, oh yeah, well, you know, really the, the screw you, uh, for judging me. I'm just going to look at them and say, oh, I'm sorry. This isn't your flavor. Have a nice day. Yeah. And then I'm not going to hang out with that person. In fact, I'm going to live my truth a hundred percent so I can have genuine people in my life. Like I would never have someone in my life that I felt like I had to hide some sort of shameful thing from. Mm. Like if you were going to, uh, uh, you know, judge me for being a, a, you know, a drug addict, um, for being, you know, an ex drug addict, then I'm not going to, sorry that that's not your flavor, Josh, but yeah. like, that's who I used to be. Right. And, uh, I have, you know, learned a lot of lessons from that and, and this is who I am now, but like, I know that you accept me. So, you're going to be part of my community. There are people out there who aren't going to be able to be part of your community. But you and know, how the hard only would it be? How would, hard would it be if you had to live with the shame? Yeah, of that every exactly, day? exactly, exactly. And, and so, living with shame is difficult. It will weigh you down figuratively, but but it also might weigh you down literally in the sense that it prevents you from moving on. Yeah. Uh, and and so being ashamed is is going to prevent you from from moving that direction. So so she actually mentioned something in, in the voicemail. She said. She thanked me for sharing my story about my dad who was schizophrenic and bipolar. And like she said something about it being like courageous or, or, or that it was a difficult thing to share. It wasn't difficult for me to share because it's the truth. It just is what it is. Right. And, and, and that's, that's why it wasn't difficult because I'm okay with speaking the truth. Now, there have been times where I will temporarily quash something and not talk about it. Like we haven't talked about moving from Missoula to Los Angeles because we, we wanted to wait and, and surprise our audience with it publicly. But um, it, this is like a cathartic experience for me, just being able to talk about like, you know what, Missoula was great. It served its purpose, but I feel like I, I had grown beyond what Missoula had to offer for me. Mm-hmm. And I think in a weird way, I will, I'll be able to reconnect with Missoula because I'll, I'll be coming back here occasionally and I'll be able to appreciate it more from afar as opposed to being steeped in, in the thing that is no longer serving its purpose for me. And so I think part of moving on is, is yes, of course, letting go of the shame. Now she asked about the, do I just accept it with the physical things or whatever? Uh, and, 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 do, to do you just get rid like something you're shameful of? Do you get rid of all the physical memories? So the, the something that came to my mind was uh, like when I got divorced. Mm. Um, you know, I, I didn't. It's did you it's, feel shame then? No, I, I, I absolutely did. Um, but I'll say me too. I felt I felt a lot of shame. The pictures of our like wedding and stuff, I got rid of them not because I wanted to forget it, but it was because I wanted to move forward and I didn't want to get stuck. Mm. in that in that shameful feeling um but i'll tell you dude getting rid of the pictures doesn't make it not happen it doesn't make me forget right you know we always say like the memories are not in the things they're inside of us and guess what i still remember a lot of the a lot of things from that marriage yeah and a lot of shame that i felt from that marriage but you didn't keep the triggers around to keep feeling it either right exactly so you know when it comes to those physical possessions that hannah was talking about like if they're not adding value like i'm sure there's something i still have from my marriage yeah. Like, and like whether it's a, a spoon or a coffee mug, I, I mean, I, I know that I came across something the other day. It was a, uh, like a screwdriver or something I'm like, God, I've had this for like, you know, however long. Um, my point is, is that, uh, if it's adding value to my life, then I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to hold on to something just to say, Oh, well one day, 
one day I'll face those emotions and one day I'll work through those. If I'm not going to use it in, in the next 90 days, if I haven't used it in the last 90 days, it doesn't matter who shared that possession with me. Right. I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold on to it. It's I, not serving a purpose for you anymore. Right. Exactly, man. So, I mean, I think, I guess what I'm trying to tell Hannah is don't look at your material possessions as memories of shame. Just look at them as just as what they are, physical possessions. Are they, are they adding value to your life? Now, if you've got something in your life, let's say it is a screwdriver. I'm just going to go with that because I mentioned it earlier. And every time you use that screwdriver, it, it brings up really sad memories and you feel shame and it brings up the past relationship, blah, 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 blah. Okay, get rid of the screwdriver because yes. at that point, it's not adding value to your life. It's making you feel worse right. than it is making you feel better or, or, or it's making it's not, you force. It's not a tool anymore. Yeah, it's, it's not so helpful. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and so she, she, the last thing she asked was about, do I have to, um, should I accept it or should I just move on? I think that's the same thing. You, you have to accept it before you can move on. Right. You do have to accept what happened in the past. And I think the, the, the biggest example of this, remember when uh, uh, a couple years ago, Charlie Sheen came out having HIV? Yeah. And he came, went on the Today Show. I could tell that was probably one of the most cathartic experiences of his life because he had been hiding something for so long mm-hmm. and been paying people off and and eventually got to this point where he's like, I can't do this anymore. Right. And so living his truth all of a sudden made it all go away. Now at least the 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 shame or the the anxiety around trying to hide it. Right. We try to hide things and we start lying and then lies about the lies to cover up other lies. And yeah. That is a, a, a terrible cycle, and you won't feel you won't feel good about it at all. Hannah, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's a memoir about letting go of a whole lot of stuff over the course of five years. Ryan and I, we uh, we were these suit and tie corporate guys, married guys with bad childhoods who climbed the corporate ladder, and then we decided to to let all that go and become minimalists. And uh, Sean, if you could send her the book or the ebook version of that, or um, you know, it's on audiobook now. It's uh, like a five and a half hour audiobook. If you have any Audible download codes, that would that'd be great. She might enjoy the the audiobook since she already listens to the podcast. Our next question is from Jagger in Phoenix. My girlfriend and I are uh, game planning for the next few years of our lives, and uh, she works as a teacher. Um, and I work as a diet rep um, at a hospital, and then neither are uh, very high-paying jobs. And uh, we're both thinking about uh, trying to find a house uh, that's off-grid, but that probably is not going to be the cheapest of options, and we're trying to figure out how exactly we can make that work in the sense of um, uh, putting down as large of a down payment um, on the house as possible so we're not in debt for very long, or potentially buying the house outright. Now, since we don't get paid a lot, we probably can't buy the house outright. So it feels like we're kind of being forced in a situation where we're going to have to accept that we're going to have to take on debt. And one of the big things that I know you guys preach is that there is no such thing as good debt. So I need your guys' help in kind of either justifying a buying house and uh, taking on the debt, if that's even possible, although I don't think it is, or trying to find some way to get around the debt, you know, or just whatever. You know, quite frankly, I'm just looking for guidance on what what seems to be a very a difficult issue for someone that wants to pursue a minimalist lifestyle like myself and like my girlfriend. So, Ryan, I, I had to think about this. When, I mean, obviously, we're moving out to one of the more expensive cities in the country, and I, I certainly couldn't afford to buy a house 
in Los Angeles. No. Uh, and when I say afford, I mean without going into debt. That's right. what I mean by afford. If you have to go into debt, you can't afford a thing. Right. And and the one exception I would ever make in my own personal life, I'm not prescribing this to anyone else. The one exception I would make in my own life is if I had 50% to put down. So if, uh, to use Dayton, Ohio as an example, if I wanted a, a $200,000 house, which would be a really nice house in Dayton, Ohio. Right. Uh, my friend Annie lives in, in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Dayton and I, her house is less than $200,000. And it's, you, you sit that house in Missoula and it'd be $600,000. Yeah, it's crazy. And Los Angeles would certainly be over a million dollars. Um, so two, let's say a $200,000 house. Mm-hmm. I'd have to be able to put at least half down, $100,000. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to save up that money. And then for me, I personally wouldn't do more than a seven-year fixed rate mortgage. So then the question becomes, can I afford what the payments are for those seven years? And ideally, I'd love to pay it off quicker than seven if possible. So any extra money I had, because I want to get rid of that debt altogether. I no longer want the debt in my life. That gives me the same flexibility to be mobile, right? Because even if you own the house and you have no debt on it, you could let it sit there if you couldn't sell it. You could do, you, you wouldn't be tied to that mortgage payment still. And so Jagger, I don't want you to be tied to a mortgage payment unless you absolutely have to be. I could understand circumstances where if you put 20% down and do up to a 15 year fixed rate mortgage, I certainly wouldn't go anywhere beyond that. That that would be the outer limit, being able to do 20%. Now, he said something interesting, Ryan. He said, um, he said I, I can't buy it outright. And my, my response would be, you can't buy it outright yet. I right. mean, maybe part of it is saving up enough money so you can buy it outright or pay at least half of it outright eventually. Well, the one thing that stood out to me during that whole voicemail is he said he probably can't buy it outright. Mm. And there was a lot of probabilities and maybes and I don't knows, which led him to his final, you know, uh, question there of, you know, I, is it okay for me to just accept the fact that we're going to have to take on a mortgage? Yeah. But, but dude, you haven't even looked into how much a house off the grid is going to cost. Right. I guarantee, I, I've actually been looking into this. Okay. I could do it for 60,000 bucks. Uh-huh. Like if I, if I had the piece of land, um, sixty thousand dollars. I could build a simple home mm-hmm. uh, with solar pa- solar panels um, and do some off the grid stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I've stayed in a few of those from Airbnb, and I've talked to architects who design them, and and it's usually under a hundred thousand dollars every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the for the cost of the home, I mean, the, the land is going to be a little bit different. I, I actually could do it for less than sixty thousand bucks. I was talking to um, uh, our buddy uh, uh, Derek, who has that he's got the show on TLC or something. I, I don't watch cable TV anymore, but he's, he goes around and he builds tiny houses. Right. And I was talking to him about designing an off the grid tiny house. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to save up like, you know, 40, 50, maybe 60,000 bucks. And he was like, dude, he's like, we can do that for way less than 60,000 bucks. Wow. So, so my point is Jagger is dude, you've got to come up with a plan of, and you know where for me, where it would start is your budget, man. Like what are you budgeting for? So uh, figure out where every single bit of your money is going with you and your partner every single month. Then figure out how much it's going to cost to get that off the grid house and how much are you going to have to save. And to Josh's point, yeah, you're right. Right now you can't do it. 
but you certainly could be able to do in the future with the right plan. I mean, I hate to use the cliche of like, you know, plan your work and work your plan, but Jagger, this is what you got to do. If that's what you truly, truly want, you've got to find out some more information. You got to come up with a better plan and you have to work that plan. And if it takes you five years, great. If it takes you 10 years, great. Uh, yeah. I mean, when it comes to, you know, going all in with a 30 year mortgage, dude, I don't know when I would ever do that. I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not like knocking anyone who, who has done that. You know, like you said, I'm not prescribing, uh, this to anyone. I've done it in the past. Yeah. But I know like the condo I got in Dayton. Um, and this is anecdotal, man. This is my only experience with owning a home. Um, but you know, I, I paid, uh, you know, however much I paid for it. And then five years later I lost five figures, man. Mm. I lost five figures on that house. So I was completely upside down after five years and the, and what do they say? The average, um, uh, not rate of return, but like your average, you're going to get your investment back after five years. Yeah. yeah. So, so you wouldn't want to purchase a house unless you know you're going to be somewhere for at least five years. Right. So you could, so you could make the money back on that house. There are awesome success stories out there. I've got, you know, mentoring, um, uh, mentees who all the time, um, will say, Oh yeah, I don't know what to do. You know, I've got a house right now and it's probably equity probably has, you know, an extra 40 or 50,000 bucks in it. Great. Like that's also possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, but but Jagger, I guess my biggest piece of advice to you is you got to find out more information and you've got to come up with a plan. I think that's important. And that translates to exactly what we're doing right now. It's not like we decided to willy nilly up and move to Los Angeles. No, it was about a plan. It's like a two year. This is like been in the works for two years. Yeah. And, and, and can I, can I afford this? What are the opportunities and, and what makes sense for my circumstances mm-hmm. and for our entire team? Like what, and and you don't take that lightly. But then also there's this other, you know, I, I did a little bit of a teaser on uh, Facebook last week and said, hey, we're moving. What questions do you have for us? And we'll answer some of those in, in a minute, uh, Facebook and Twitter. And um, one of the person just uh, said, why? Like, why are you moving? And I can give you a bunch of good reasons about community and access and all these other things. But part of it has to do with, with the feeling that you experience. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it should. You... There's this gut feeling. And I heard Sam Harris talk about it recently, about having more brain cells in your gut than most mammals have in their brains. And uh, there's a, I, I can't go into the science behind it without, without it sounding woo-woo. And if anyone else would say that besides Sam Harris, I would think it was woo-woo as hell. Um, but uh, it has to do with, the, with uh, he, he had this self-defense podcast that, that uh, I think you you may have listened to it. I don't know. Not but, yet. No, you were, uh, Matt Diavolo was recommending it when you were out in California. Yeah, so anyway, he, he was talking about like these gut instincts that we get, and especially women get when they, you know, they're getting to an elevator with a large man, and it's like, in our society, it's impolite to get off that elevator, but like no other time in the world would you get into a enclosed box with a predator, right? Right. And, and that's, you get that gut feeling, act on that gut feeling. And yeah. so part of it has to do with the gut feeling, but then can you have a plan to back up that gut feeling? Right. Don't just jump into the thing, but follow that gut feeling to a certain extent and then and then make sure you, you plan accordingly on top of it. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jagger, we would love to give you a couple of tickets to our Phoenix event. We're, uh, we're doing this 40-city tour this year. It's called the Less Is Now Tour. And we're going to be in Phoenix. Our special guest there will be Joshua Becker. So, Sean, if you could reach out to him, maybe get him a couple tickets uh, for that event if, uh, if he's interested. All right, y'all, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about relocating or, or Los Angeles or Missoula or Dayton or uh, any advice for any of the callers today as well, you can leave us a voicemail, 
7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com where our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. Okay, before we dive into the lightning round, Ryan, let's talk about some of our upcoming uh, tour stops. Never never in my life, Ryan, did I think we'd ever have to deal with scalpers. If I would have went to you seven years ago and said, Ryan, seven years from now, people are going to be scalping our tickets. Are you serious? Yeah. So, um, uh, there's quite a few of our events have already sold wow. out. Most of the first leg sold out, but then, uh, yeah, so there are some cities that are already sold out now. Uh, and we're getting ready to announce the Australia wave of the tour. That'll be tw- early 2018, March 2018. So make sure you're on our email list over at theminimalists.com. Also, if you're on our email list at theminimalists.com, you'll get all of our new essays and stuff. I just wrote an essay about this tour, about traveling, Ryan. It's called Developing Ears for Travel. And I'd like to read that real quick. And it's a good jump off point to talk about some of these tour stops we're going on. It goes a little something like this. There are three things I hate. Large crowds, public speaking, and extensive travel. And yet I find myself on tour once again. In fact, this year's Less Is Now tour is our eighth tour in the seven years since Ryan and I started TheMinimalists.com. From Seattle to San Diego, Pittsburgh to Portland, Vermont to Vancouver, we're traveling to 40 cities this year to talk about living a meaningful life with less. There comes a time whenever we're on the road that I begin to ask myself, why in the hell am I doing this again? Which I should probably ask myself before embarking on another multi-month jaunt around North America. But the initial excitement of planning coupled with the perceived glamour of exploration always seems to erase the question, at least for a while. At some point though, often while parked at a rest stop surrounded by a sea of Midwestern cornfields, that question interrupts my waning excitement and I begin to wonder what I've gotten myself into. That's the self-doubt that creeps in. Another crowd this evening, Two more hours of talking tonight, 300 miles until our next city. Yikes. It's not that I actually hate people speaking or travel. Rather, these things make me uncomfortable. So my answer to my internal, why am I doing this dialogue is simple. I go on tour, not only to share our message of simple and intentional living, but also to embrace my own discomfort. In the modern Western world, once our basic needs are met, we have the means to cocoon ourselves in perpetual comfort. Swaddled by air conditioning, technology, and consumer goods, we ease into a daily life that is rich in luxurious niceties, but lacks the rigor required for sustained growth. And without growth, our lives lack meaning, purpose, and passion. It's no wonder Most people feel discontented today. We are vessels of anxiety, stress, and debt, camouflaged by consumerism. So despite my innate desire to stay home and bubble wrap my life, I hit the road, interact with other human beings, and face the terror of public speaking in every city we visit. Each night we meet people from Various walks of life, from factory workers to executives, high school dropouts to college professors, monks to hoarders. Literally, we had monks and hoarders at the same event. Uh, Whether they're young or old, rich or poor, black or white, they all ask the same fundamental questions. How do I live a meaningful life? What must I do to regain control? Who is the person I want to become? 
Sure, these questions manifest differently depending on the individual, but one thing that has been made clear to me over the past seven years is we're all different, yet we're all the same. We all struggle, we all fail, and we all desire to be the best version of ourselves, warts and all. Ryan and I stand on stage and present an in-depth talk at each event, but the real reason we host these events is to listen. It would be easy, comfortable even, for us to stay home and discuss simple living in our books, blog, and podcast. It's much more difficult, however, to actively listen. Real listening requires letting go of expectations, preconceptions, and the desire to be the center of attention. It's uncomfortable to do so, but it's necessary if we want to grow. Because if we don't listen to the world around us, it's impossible to hear what's going on inside us. That's why travel is important to me. It forces me to confront discomfort and develop ears to hear and ultimately attempt to understand other perspectives. In time, those perspectives better shape our own worldview. And Ryan, I think that's important here because we're moving because it helps better shape our worldview. It'd be easy for me to stay in Dayton, Ohio and, and just hang out and, and write. And maybe I'll do that one day. Maybe I'll just sit back and bloviate on the blog about simple living from my ivory tower. But right now, I want to continue to grow and, and embrace that discomfort. And it's difficult, man. It's yeah. especially difficult with me and my, my health issues. But it's, uh, it's really worth it. It, it. It's what makes Amen. life more meaningful. Yeah. You know, as long as I still have the energy to do all this, man, like I absolutely am, am all for it. So if you, uh, if you want to come out and see us on tour, uh, we'll be in Canada. By the time this comes out, we have already been to Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. It looks like Vancouver's already sold out. Calgary is sold out. Edmonton, looks like there's a few tickets left. By the time this comes out, you, I'm not sure. Uh, head on over to lessisnow.com, and you can find all the tickets, cities, dates. After that, we're doing three stops in New York City. We'll also be in Philadelphia, Salt Lake City, Denver, Phoenix. And we're going hometown, Dayton, Ohio. Free event in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, details of that are on uh, that page as well. And we're going to be in Austin, Texas. Um, man, it looks like that event is sold out. Dallas, only a few tickets left in Dallas. And then Houston. Man, what, look what's going on in Houston lately. Yeah, dude. I, yeah, I hope we can still have an event there. I mean, I'm, I, 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 yeah, I don't know, man. I know that there are like hotels that, you know, have signs like we're still open. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a couple months away. Yeah. I, I'd, uh, I'd love to work with, there's a, there's a nonprofit called global living. Uh, I think it's global living. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Actually, we'll, we'll find a link to it in the show notes. They're, they're helping, uh, they're helping a, a lot of the rescue, uh, efforts there on the ground. And so, I know a lot of people donate to the Red Cross and they can be very helpful, but if you want to make sure your money goes directly to to this tragedy um, to help the people who are surviving this, I know nine people have already died so far. It's nothing like Katrina numbers because it's not a wall of water that is hitting an entire city that's below sea level. Right. It's still a lot of water. You see the pictures of this thing. Unbelievable, man. It's, it is truly unbelievable. Heart just goes out to all those. So let's see folks. if we can we can donate a large chunk of the profits, if not all of them, from that Houston event to help these these survivors out. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, let's uh, let's take a look at. Let me. I've got it right here. It's the global. It's called global giving. And uh, they are vetted by uh, a Charity Navigator, which ranks different charities. They've also been recommended by the Houston Chronicle and by NPR. And uh, 
So we can give, we'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to help some of the folks out in Houston, that's one way to do it. You can give to them directly. And then um, we can give profits from our Houston event. Yeah, man. And I'm going to put you on the spot, but like, what do you think about doing the thing with the iTunes or is it what, Apple podcasts or whatever? The same thing now. Yeah. Whatever it is, man, uh, w- that we did for the malaria foundation. Okay. So let's say, all right. So if you're someone out there, if you're cool with doing this, yeah. Uh, if you're someone out I there who, who doesn't have 10 bucks to right. give to uh, this organization, just leave us, leave us a review. If it's a one-star review, we'll still donate 10 bucks, uh, to help the the victims there in Houston. Hopefully it's a five-star review and you really get a lot of value out of this podcast. But, but yeah, man, I mean, as much as we can do to help, I, okay, so, so I'm, it looks I'm all like, for it. So let's do that. So this will be out September 5th. This episode comes out. Sweet. Let, let's say the entire month of September, entire month of September. We currently have 3,352 reviews on Apple podcasts. Okay. So for every review that we get, ideally we prefer five stars. That really helps us out and yes, spreads the message. Yes, yes. But if you hate us, well, we want we want it to be an honest review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It does. It, it should be an honest. We're review. not asking for fluff here. No, 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 no. We're not paying you for reviews. And so, if you want to leave us one star, my my first question is: if you hate listening to us that much, you can leave us one star. You probably not listen this long. But you know what? Maybe you're hate listening to us. <laughs> and there's that whole thing about like they, they did the study on Howard Stern's listeners, like the people who really love him listen for an hour a day. The people who hate him listen for two hours a day. Oh, God, um, that's so funny. And so people just love to get themselves riled up. At yeah, yeah, the, the recreational anyway. outrage. Um, yeah. And and so, yeah, we'll we'll donate $10 to Global Giving for every Apple podcast review that we get during the month of September 2017. Uh, and that will go 100% of that money, it looks like, goes to help the... In fact, let me. I've got this link here, Ryan. I can read a little bit about the, uh, the Global Giving Initiative. This is for the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. They're trying to raise $2 million, and so we can certainly help out with that. Here's what it says, Ryan, in, in the summary. Hurricane Harvey has caused widespread catastrophic flooding and damage in Texas and along the Gulf Coast. This fund will provide relief to survivors in the form of emergency supplies, supplies like food, water, and medicine. In addition, here, here's the important part. Yeah. In addition to long-term recovery assistance to help residents mm. recover and rebuild. Awesome. All donations to this fund will exclusively support relief and recovery efforts from this storm. So it's not going to go somewhere else in an organization. Let's see if we can help them out. Let's donate the money from our Houston event, any of the profits there, and then 10 bucks for every review that we get on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, whatever you want to call it. And you just go over to iTunes.com slash The Minimalists, or you can f- go to our website and uh, even if you, you use it, I, I use a different podcast player. You can still go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating. You just have to log in. Even if you have an Android phone, you can you can download Apple Podcasts and and leave a rating there. Cool. That also helps our simple loving message reach more people. That's why why we're doing it. It's not completely altruistic, but we do want to help some people out along the way. So we'll donate our money, and uh, if you want to donate as well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Continuing on to the tour stuff, Ryan. After Texas, we'll be we got Dallas, we got Houston. And Austin. Austin's already sold out. Only a few tickets left in Dallas. And then we're going to be in Nashville, Washington, D.C., Atlanta. Only a few tickets left in Atlanta. 
Tampa, we just found a huge theater in Tampa, so that thing sold out. Denver sold out as well. We got a bigger theater in Denver. Nice. We got a bigger theater in Tampa, so both of those sold out, but we have bigger space now. So there are, if, if you went there and it was sold out, there are now tickets available in Tampa and Denver. And then we're finishing the year Detroit, Milwaukee. And if you're in Australia, stay tuned. Make sure you're on our email list. We're going to be announcing that really soon. We're, we're headed over to, uh, to your neck of the woods, Australia and, and New Zealand. We hope to have those dates within, uh, within the next few weeks ideally so those you'll be the first to know if you're on our email list actually you'll be the second to know the, our patreon supporters will be the first to know we always announce the new stuff with our our patreon supporters first all right ryan we talked about houston let's move on to uh some lightning yeah man you know what time it is it is time for our hashtag ask the minimalist lightning round yes indeed this is where we answer questions from uh from social media we're on um facebook and instagram and twitter at the minimalists during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I both do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. You can also uh, now find all of our, our pithy quotes in one place, thanks to our friend uh, Jessica Williams and the folks over at Spire Media. They created this awesome website called minimalmaxims.com. And every time you refresh, it pops up a new quote of ours that you can tweet and share. And there are hundreds of them cataloged over there at minimalmaxims.com. Awesome. All right. Our first question is from Catherine. Is it cheaper to sell furniture before the move and buy new or to pay to have it all moved. I, I mean, so I'll give a short answer and then I have a lot to expand on here. My, my short written answer that is tweetable is neither cheap nor expensive are synonyms for better. And so I, I just want to keep that in mind. So I've done both. When we moved out to Montana, I got rid of everything. Everything I had fit in my car. Yeah. We rented that cabin that was already furnished. Mm -hmm. I'm doing furnished in air quotes. There was a, a couch and a, a table and a bed, right. two beds. Uh, and, and that was about it. And that was great for us. Like we didn't need perfect. anything. Yeah, it worked out really well. Um, and so that, that really worked out um, because I didn't want to rent a U-Haul and try, try to store the stuff. And I wasn't really sure where we were going from there. And I already didn't own a lot of stuff anyway. But then for this move, we're kind of doing both. Uh, we got on Craigslist yesterday and sold uh, two desks. We're giving away the dining room table to our good friends, Nate and Rochelle. Uh, because they're moving into a new house uh, this month, actually. And so it was perfect timing. Otherwise, I would have sold it. The stuff sold on Craigslist in an hour. That's awesome. In an hour. And it was just like a simple, like, standing desk. It was, uh, And, you know, we made a few hundred bucks off of the stuff we, we sold on Craigslist. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful. There are other things that were moving. You know, Bex uh, is doing we're, while we're on tour in Canada, Bex is going to be driving a U-Haul uh, trailer to uh, LA for us. So, uh, or you can hire movers and do that. And it's really up to you what, what you decide you want to take. Here, here's the thing to keep in mind. The things that you purchase for your current space may not work in a new space. And so you have to plan accordingly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to hold on to something and cram it into a space. Don't try to cram your old life into a new space. Ooh, that's my there we go. That's my tweetable answer. That's give me a second, a second minimal maxim there, Sean. <laughs> Don't try to cram your old life into your new space. And I think if we if we look at it that way, then we will bring things forward. But there'll be other things we may have to reacquire. Or the thing I'm going to do is a experiment. And this is the first time I'm going to try this: uh, an experiment in radical simplicity. Mm. When we first move out there, 
I'm going to have very little. I mean, I always have to have a bed and, and a few other things and you know, consumables and paper towels and, and, and toilet paper. But I'm not going to, I'm going to see how long over this two month period, because it's a two month trial period. I'm going to kind of deprive myself for those two months to see, okay, what am I really missing? And what do I really need? So if we end up staying in the house that we're renting, then we can bring those things in very slowly and deliberately as opposed to, well, I'm supposed to have, here's the 19 things that everyone has in their home. So you should own them too. To be a good minimalist, you have to own these 43 items. No, it doesn't work like that. You can get by without. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my short answer would be don't ask what the cheaper option is. Ask what the opportunity cost is. There's always going to be a cheaper option. So when, you know, this question, it's like, what's the cheapest? You know what? Like you said, man, cheap doesn't always mean better. Yeah. And for me, it's not about if something is cheaper or if it's more expensive is what, what is that opportunity cost that I'm missing out on? That's a, that's, we don't think about that cost because it's not the price tag, right? Right. It, maybe it's the, 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 the cheap, here's another pithy one for you, Sean, the, the, the cheap, sometimes cheap is too expensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So, and, and opportunity costs, I mean, I'm sure most people know what that is. Um, but it's basically an economic term where you look at the next, you look at what you're giving up essentially the next best thing that you're giving up. So in, 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 uh, Catherine's situation, if she is, uh, going to sell her furniture, let's say it's like a beautiful couch that she really likes. Um, she sells it, she moves to her new place. She buys a couch for what, you know, what she sold it for. So there's a net zero cost there, but if the couch isn't as beautiful, as the one that she had, then that's the opportunity cost. She's missing out on having something that she truly, truly loves in her home. So that's the question isn't how cheap or expensive something is. It's what is the opportunity cost? Yeah, totally agree, man. And that opportunity cost needs to be weighed in. What what is the, what is the actual cost of, of, uh, of the thing? It's going to go beyond just the price tag. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Sarah. I want to move so bad, but cannot decide. Is it better to stick with what I have or go somewhere new and start completely over? How did you decide it was time to move? Well, uh, here's, here's my short answer. Then I can expand on her question. It's best to choose to graduate from a place before you're ready to divorce it. And I'm somewhere in between right now. I feel like I graduated from Missoula two years ago and now I'm the townie who's like hanging out <laughs> and uh, just... Uh, you know, what was the movie? Um, uh, Burt Kreischer, <laughs> Van Wilder. Was, was that it? Burt Kreischer was in Van Wilder. The movie's based on his life. Oh, I didn't, I had no idea. Yeah. That is yeah. hilarious. And, um, anyway, uh, yes, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds plays basically who Burt Kreischer was. He just stuck around college for a really long time. Oh God, that's so funny. And I kind of feel that like with Missoula, like I feel like I graduated from it a couple of years ago and I felt really good about this place and moving on from it. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, this relationship isn't going as well for me. Like it's leading toward divorce. Let's, let's, yeah. let's leave before the divorce uh, comes about. And so, yeah, you, you want to graduate before you divorce it, but, but how, how did you know it was time to move? So you just know. For me, you just know, and uh, I can give you the stats and, and, and here are the opportunities I'm going toward, but if I didn't have that feeling, mm-hmm. if I didn't feel good about it, it, it would be moot. Like you have feelings? <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> oh, okay. That okay. feeling. You have a feeling. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. I'm, I'm employing my feeling. <laughs> <laughs> my short answer is when relocating, it's important to know what you're running toward. Running from something can lead to the same or bigger problems. So when I think about moving from Missoula 
to LA, like if I'm running from anything, it would be uh, like this feeling of stagnation, this feeling of, of being too settled, being too comfortable. Right. Um, which sounds like a really weird being too comfortable. That's out of those three uh, descriptors that I just used, man, like uh, running away from being comfortable is, is probably the number one thing, which sounds weird running away from being comfortable. Well, th- in the essay that I was reading, like, it's like comfort, like true comfort is like bubble wrapping your life in a yeah. way, right? Removing all the sharp edges from life. Right. And uh, yeah, so I mean, if anything, I'm running away from that. But you know, what I'm running towards in LA to me means so much more than what I am leaving here in Missoula. And I think, you know, I, and I, <clears throat> I don't think, I know there are people out there who they feel like moving to a new city. I have uh, friends and family who have done this or are doing it now. And at the end of the day, uh, running from a problem or running from an old life to to start a new life somewhere else, if you don't know that new life you're running towards, then you, you just can, again, create the same or even bigger problems in that new space. So Sarah, get clear on what you're running towards, get clear on what you're running away from, um, uh, but either way, like, yes, make it a very deliberate decision. Yeah. And, and, and don't just run away is what you're saying. Exactly. It, it's okay to run in the other direction. Make sure you, you know where you're going. For me, I'm running toward the weather. I'm running toward the opportunity. I'm running toward the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm running toward the beauty. I'm, I'm running toward the access to the things that I want access to. I'm not running away from this place. And it was important. And Bex and I had several conversations about it. Like I want to make sure I'm not just running away from this uh, and, and, and the grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. The thing about that is sometimes the grass is greener and you have to, you have to determine if it is greener, then maybe you do want to run toward that. Or first, maybe you try to fix the grass that's in, that's in your own yard. And, and then uh, if you can't do that, then, then you go ahead and you, you move forward. But I think, I think ultimately you just know. We've got like four or five other questions here that uh, we're going to do an overtime episode. So we'll, we'll continue this relocation discussion over on Patreon. Some really good questions here. A bunch of people are asking questions on social media. So uh, uh, just a few of them here. Continuity of care seems like a big deal these days because it ties in with most people's health insurance or lack thereof. How do you find a reputable doctor, dentist, pharmacy, etc.? This is something that scares me when I think about moving. Uh, someone else, Jonathan, said, uh, what is the one thing you believe is the hardest to find once you move to a new city? I'm not talking about an item, but what, what's the hardest thing to find in the community? Natasha said, what were the criteria to decide which city to move to? Well, we kind of already talked about that. And then she said, how do you choose your new houses? So we'll be able to talk about that and a handful of other questions here as well. What will you miss most about Montana? Did you have a pre, pre-move yard sale? Hmm. Um how long did it take for you to pack up your stuff? So we'll talk about all of that in the overtime episode over on Patreon. But first, it is time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something. We each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Uh, before that, though, uh, if you find value in the Minimalist Podcast, would you consider becoming a supporter of the show? Even though this is one of the largest podcasts in the world. That is a weird thing to say, Ryan. I have it here written in front of me. I still don't believe you. I, <laughs> I think uh, you're just making that up. Just, oh, then, then Apple Podcasts has been really kind to us <laughs> and, and, and ranked us quite a bit. Um, so it is one of the largest podcasts in the world. It's, it's frequently in the top 100. It's been in the top 10 before. It's top three in Australia. 
uh, over 400 days on the charts in Australia, 200 days in the United States uh, of the top 100. And uh, the listenership continues to grow even with all the new podcasts. I'm saying all that not to impress you, but to impress upon you our desire for your help. Um, So basically, it is one of the largest podcasts in the world, but we don't take any money from advertisers because the advertisements, most of them at least, they suck. Uh, can you imagine if we had to start shilling for some underwear or some mattress company? No, it it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel good to me. I don't think we'd feel good about it. Plus, uh, being ad free allows us to record this added value segment uh, each week without any bias toward a sponsor, which means that we can recommend something because we truly get value from it, not because someone is lining our pockets to talk about their product. So if you want to help keep the podcast 100% advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com and click on the donate button over there at the top. From there, you can contribute one time via PayPal or on a per episode basis via Patreon. As a reward for your continued support, our Patreon supporters get exclusive access to The Minimalist's private podcast and monthly live streams and occasional other bonuses. So we do a a live stream each month and um, we also we're recording these little private podcasts where we'll do we'll expand on some of the topics but then we also uh, have direct communication with all of our patreon supporters if you see us commenting in the comments with folks interacting with folks that is us interacting with you it's the best place to interact with us we also send out private emails to folks before uh you know if tickets are available you get advanced access to certain events and we also send out other little reminders to all of our patreon supporters uh, we get about a million downloads each month, and we are not each month, each episode. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh my goodness! So, so I mean, now I'm all nervous. Obviously, <laughs> well, uh, on, and that's why we can talk about more stuff on Patreon because it's like a thousand people who support us over there. So we get about a million downloads per episode, and we're looking for just one percent of our audience to help support the show financially. It's worth noting that none of the money contributed to this podcast goes to Ryan or to me to re- directly. Instead, we're using this money to build the podcast and film studio that we mentioned earlier, which will allow us to take live callers on the air, improve overall audio quality, and produce different types of podcast episodes, shorter episodes, longer episodes, and experimental episodes. And the film studio will also allow us to make a video version of this podcast, as well as other meaningful films like web series and TV shows, TV or video interviews, mini documentaries, video Q and A's, live specials, video essays, vlogs, live streams, and much more. So are you willing to be part of the 1%? of listeners who help us create something meaningful. If so, visit theminimalists.com and click donate. If you're already a supporter, thank you. Your support is adding value to my life, it's adding value to Ryan's life, and it's adding value to many other lives. And for that, we are grateful. Okay, Ryan, what has added value to your life recently? Well, dude, uh, Andrew Bell's Dive Deep just came out. That is a phenomenal album. It's so good, man. <clears throat> the more I listen to it, the more I like it. And it's funny because... I can't tell you how many times an album, a new album comes out and I'm like, eh, this isn't as good as the last album. I know. But then I'll listen to it like two or three times. I'm like, shit, this is good. So like, yeah, definitely go check that album out. And then dude, with this smoke that's been in Missoula, I have the, I bought air purifiers. Um, or I'm sorry. I bought an air purifier. Yeah. Uh, like two years ago when the smoke, like it got to that level. It was that 2015. It, it really had bad. never got to before we're like i mean it looked like uh uh you know beijing like everyone's walking around in the masks and 
Um, like, yeah, it was, I mean, basically they were saying, Hey, don't go outside. The air quality is really bad. If you do go outside, wear a mask. Cause it's, right. it's so unhealthy for you. And I'll tell you, man, with that air purifier, like, dude, I can't, I can't smell the smoke in my house. As soon as I step outside my house, it smells like someone's camp, you know, has a campfire going or something. Yeah. But, um, I'll, I'll tell you, even, even if, um, like I'm going to bring these to LA with me. I have two now, actually. Um, I uh, bought one uh, at the at the beginning of this fire season because I noticed, you know, smoke rises, so I put one up in my room. Anyway, um, I'm gonna bring it to LA with me. Uh, I'll I'll just say in general, man, like I really, um, I can I just noticed the air quality difference, man. I know it's weird, but after no, having after having them for a couple of years, man, like I I can totally notice it. So my doctor recently told me about a study that came out. And I was totally shocked by it. the the most effective HEPA air air filter yeah. Uh, machine. Yeah, you're not gonna believe it, man. I didn't believe it either at first until I started doing it. It's a box fan with an air conditioner filter taped to the back of it. Really? Yeah, I'm bringing two to Los Angeles with me. It's better uh, than like the Whirlpool. Yeah, it, it's the it, really they, they, the as a. a a scientist from Caltech or Stanford, one of the two. That's awesome, uh, man. Did this, uh, this, I mean, it, they look, they're not aesthetically pleasing. It's no. a box fan. Yeah. But if you're, if you're just trying to deal with smoke for a temporary period of time. And that's going to be way cheap. Like this world, this whirlpool air filter is like 200 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I hate recommending something. I, I wouldn't, it, feel, I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't feel like it made a huge difference. But here's what I'll say though. If, if you want something that's temporary, use the box fan thing. It, you're going to get this, roughly the same, same thing from the Whirlpool thing. If you want something that's more aesthetically pleasing and you can afford it, that's going to look a lot better in your home long term. Having that, that, But the box fan works better than the Whirlpool. It works slightly better. Wow. And, and the point is that they work relatively the same. Right. right? And if you just need something for a temporary period, mm-hmm. do the box fan. Awesome. In fact, we borrowed one from the neighbor yeah. and, uh, and then went to Ace Hardware and bought a filter. You just buy a HEPA air conditioner filter. Yeah, regular that air co- conditioner. That covers the fan. Yep, it, yeah. it covers the fan perfectly. You tape it to it and it's good to go. Good to go. That's yeah, awesome. Man. Man. It's, it's been great. It's helped out the air, the air quality a I'm lot. I'm glad too. to know there's like a awesome substitute for it. Yeah. yeah. But if you want one that that's, looks good, the Whirlpool one is great for sure. Um, all right. Uh, what has added value to my life? Uh, you talked about running away from a place to running to a place or whatever. Um, there's a show right now that is on Netflix called Ozark. Have you heard of it? No. Uh, Jason Bateman's in it. It is so good. I'm only eight episodes in. I won't give any spoilers, but there is one line in there, uh, where they, they move to the Ozarks and there's like, um, which is like, Missouri, Arkansas area, right? They're on the Missouri side and there's, it's all this water and people get around by boats and it's like a weird vacation destination for mid- the Midwest. And uh, there's a line in there where everyone who comes here is running from something. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, just if you are considering relocating or taking a new job or whatever, don't just run from the thing that you're at. Uh, run towards something. But the show is amazing. It awesome. is amazing. One cool. of the best shows I've seen in a long time. Ozark. Uh, I'm using, uh, uh, here's a tech recommendation. I use something in my uh, inbox, you know, about called boomerang. Yes. So I can boomerang messages to come back to me later. They just added a new feature. Uh, it's a, so this is for Gmail. It's called boomerang for Gmail. This other feature they added is called inbox pause. So I can pause my inbox. And so no new messages come in. So I can just work from what I want. And this is really important to me because sometimes I want to go into my inbox and if there's any emails in there, I start addressing them right away. Yeah. 
Well, if it's paused and there's new new emails in there, I can go in there, I can start sending emails without getting that barrage of all these new emails that are mm-hmm. coming in. And so that's something that has added value to my life recently. It's just part of the normal boomerang thing. And uh, let's see, I already talked about awesome. tour dates. So I think that's all I got right now. Let's move on to our next segment. It's called Weightlifting with the Minimalists. It's a, a new segment where we, we turn to our Patreon supporters and to social media as well. And we ask, what physical item is weighing you down recently and why? And then we, we help lift the weight. This was an idea from our friend Malcolm Fontier. We're, we're working together with him on this bag. It's the first physical product we've ever we, we've, we've ever put our name behind. And yeah, we thought about, you know, physical items weigh you down, especially a bag, right? But right. this bag I've gotten more value from than anything else. Uh, by the way, you can, I, I wrote an essay called Keep Travel Simple. You can find it over at packedbags.com, P-A-K-T bags.com. And we talk about the whole reason we decided to finally uh, do a physical product that made sense to us. But anyway, he wanted to talk about, he wanted us to talk more about the things that weigh people down, the physical items. And so I reached out this morning and had some people make some suggestions. All right, so Jason asks a question, Ryan. He, he, well, he's, he says what's weighing him down is way, way, way too much camping gear. <laughs> well, dude, go camping or get rid of the gear, man. Yeah, or, or both, right? Uh, go camping with as little gear as possible to s- just for a night yeah. to see what, what do you miss, what do you really need, and what is just a accoutrement that is uh, perceived value, imaginary value. I went on a seven-day hike through uh, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, and I bought a sleeping bag and a bag. Like I had to, I had to have both of those things to go on this trip. Um, I ended up returning the bag and borrowing <laughs> someone else's, but I had this sleeping bag. Um, in fact, I had it when we moved out to Montana because it was shortly after that trip when then we, that we moved out there. Um, it, I, I was like, I'm not going to go camping ever again. Like this isn't, and if I do... I will, I will go like I did last time, borrow everything, everything that I can. Right. It's not something I'm going to do on a regular basis. So I got rid of the sleeping bag, but yeah, man, it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to go camping a lot, then dude, keep, hold on to your camping gear. But if it's something that you're doing once every year, once every two years, there's probably a better way for you to have access to the gear you need without hanging on to a bunch of stuff that's weighing you down. If you're feeling weighed down, dude, that's a clear sign that something's got to give. Now, my family owns camping gear. And when I say my family, I mean Bex and Ella. <laughs> and they go gamp- camping. I, I don't go camping with them. I, it's just not my thing. I don't enjoy camping. I grew up poor. We would get the electricity turned off sometimes. That was camping. That's that's what I imagine camping is like. I've gone before. <laughs> I've gone camping. I, I don't want to put myself into that again. I will, in fact, when they go camping in Montana, I'll often go up and spend the entire day with them. We'll go out on the lake and, and paddleboard and get on boats and inner tubes and stuff. And then when it comes time to go to sleep, I will drive back to Missoula and get into my bed. And, uh, and, and so that's what I prefer. But the camping gear adds immense value. In fact, when uh, Bex is moving all of our stuff out to Los Angeles, she's going to take the long way. She's going to go down the Oregon coast and she's going to go camping the, the entire time that, that she's moving the stuff. She's not going to stay in hotels or whatever because she enjoys doing that. She loves to go camping and good for her. She uses the stuff all the time. If it was just me in the house, having the, the camping gear would be utterly useless. And so figure out what the things that you do use, 
what are the things that add imaginary value and then let go of those things keep the things that are essential for what you want to do which is camp what augments the camping experience what gets in the way what is just fluff we've got a bunch of other weightlifting with the minimalist questions here we'll answer those in the overtime episode on patreon as well we have i think half a dozen episodes by now by the time this comes out of bonus episodes a bunch of live streams you'll have access to all of that if you are a patreon supporter you can also get it in your feed now too so like i use overcast ryan mm-hmm. and I, or maybe use apple podcast or some other podcast app the bonus that we call them the minimalists private podcast you can get them right there in that same apple podcast app it just shows up as a separate feed so we've already done half a dozen episodes that is going to continue to grow as we keep doing these these bonus episodes all right um let's see do we have anything else ryan no man all i got here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners Hi, this is Casey from Denver, and I wanted to touch on someone's question from a couple tour stops ago who had mentioned that she had lost her father about two weeks prior to the meetup. And I wanted to share something that has worked for me. So I am 29, and I have actually lost both of my parents. And I lost my dad more recently, about two years ago. And after going through this minimalism journey, I realized that a lot of the reason why I held on to so many things after his passing, and especially with my mom's passing as well, was I was afraid that I was going to lose them. So I actually only have one small item from each of them. And then on top of that, um, to remember more of my dad, since it's much more recent, I have created a playlist of some music that we shared. Uh, some of the music that he liked, we do not share common interests, so Barbra Streisand, sorry about that. But when I'm doing something that reminds me of him, such as cooking, I like to put on that playlist. So I like to listen to a lot of Simon and Garfunkel. And what I can say is that it never gets easy, and it's something that you'll uh, there'll always kind of be some type of dull pain, but it makes it a lot easier. And The music actually triggers a lot of those positive memories that I had with my dad. So I hope that helps. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Forrest, and I am 23 years old. I'm from London, Ontario, Canada, and I've watched your film and have been listening to your podcast religiously for the past three months. Your message has really connected with me and has opened my eyes to a more intentional way of living, both physically and mentally. I live with my brother and now can fit 95% of my current possessions in my bedroom, which is awesome. I have donated and sold about 40% of my material things that no longer bring me value. I'm still evaluating every day the things I have, whether they bring value or to donate slash sell them. All this making my move to Toronto this summer an easier process. In a way, it feels like a fresh start to me. Last night at around 12 a.m., I was woken abruptly by a fire alarm and banging on my door. I opened my door and my brother informed me we had to evacuate the building. I quickly threw on some clothes, grabbed my phone, and was on my way out of the building. As I stood outside watching fire trucks arrive one after the other, and the numerous people exiting the building with with their children, pets, and other things they found important, I took an evaluation of the things I had on me and thought to myself, I didn't know if if it was just a little cooking fire or an entire apartment consuming fire. I didn't think twice to grab anything else, not my wallet, none of my camera gear, because I'm a photographer and videographer, and nothing. When we were clear to go back in, it was just an oven fire they put out. I took a long, hard look around my room and started questioning how valuable all those items are to me. Hello, minimalists. This is Jessica from Long Beach, California, and I have a comment for the lady who says that her house with her lawn is weighing her down. Um, Here in Southern California, we've been in a drought for an awfully long time, 
And a lot of the folks we know who have houses with lawns ripped them out and replaced them with drought-tolerant plants. And I know that that's, that is an investment, you know, the, the upfront cost of buying all these plants and rocks and whatever else you're using to landscape. But they're saving money on water and no more mowing. So that is pretty sweet if you have that option. It frees up some time for a little bit of initial cost upfront and you're helping the environment a little bit. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, you can give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also send us an email, uh, a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear